Hi, it's Chris Marshall back for another episode of For All Mankind, the official podcast. I want to talk about stress, space stress. You know that feeling you get when you've spent months on a lunar base with two other astronauts and everyone is starting to get on each other's nerves? On set, Joel Kinnaman and myself spent two weeks of 14-hour days acting as astronauts who were stuck on a lunar base. We both came out of that experience relatively unscathed. Well, except a broken arm for me. But our crewmate, Gordo Stevens, played by Michael Dorman, was really affected by the confinement and isolation, and is a mere shell of himself at the top of season two. It wasn't an easy place to live, but a lot of things went wrong. So, a lot of turmoil. And sometimes it... Sometimes the best of plans falls apart on you. Best equipment fails. Even the best people. You know, sometimes it all just falls apart on you. For this episode, I'm going to explore the psychological challenges associated with long-duration space missions and the ways we can deal with them. I spoke with Jack Stester, space anthropologist, who has done some super interesting work. I was one of many who recommended that the space station should have windows because it was pretty predictable that the astronauts would enjoy watching Earth pass beneath them. And I spoke with astronaut Kay Heyer about the importance of taking care of your team by taking care of yourself. Part of the expeditionary training is to be aware of your own health and needs when you need to take a break when you need some water, whatever, because if you get all dehydrated or you get hurt, you're gonna be a burden on the rest of the crew. But first up, I talked to my castmate, Joel Kinnaman. You guys know him as astronaut Ed Baldwin, about how our long stays and frayed nerves <laughs> affected our time on the Jamestown Lunar Base. Hi, Joel, how you doing, honey? Hello, friend. Thank you for joining me. This is gonna be so fun. <laughs> I know. Um, so let's talk a bit about the sort of mental bandwidth that one has to get together in order to to be in space. And you and I both talked about this a number of times in interviews that even though in the show we were in Jamestown and that teeny little space for, I think it's like 140-something days, in real life, um, the three of us were living and breathing in that little space for, you know, 14 hours a day for almost two weeks. What was that like? <laughs> in Sweden, we call it call it a submarine movie. Mm-hmm. When you do a film that's you know just takes place in an apartment or something like that, it, it feels like you're in a you're in a submarine together. It was like a submarine episode, right? And we're in this like really tight and close space. We're also playing all the problems that come from living in a in a tight space. So even though that's pretend, it, it seeps into your mind, you know, as it does. You get to know each other a lot better, right? And you start uh, finding ways to pass time together. Yeah. and We played a lot of euchre, a lot of cards. But it's funny. I've never heard this term submarine movie, but it's exactly what that felt like. I mean, I felt like we came into that as like, okay, we're coworkers, we're colleagues. And we came out feeling very much like like yeah. brother and sister in many ways. I mean, there were times For that you sure. definitely got on my damn nerves. And I was like, I need to move <laughs> his bunk away from mine. Why? <laughs> Me? Joel will be back later in this episode of For All Mankind, the official podcast. Time together and time apart are equally important aspects of space missions, according to Jack Stuster, an anthropologist who studied ways to make work and life in a spacecraft 
a little bit more tolerable. My name is Jack Stuster. I am an anthropologist, and I have worked for 40 years in the field of human factors engineering, also known as human factors psychology, and sometimes as ergonomics, which is the study of work. Jack specializes in how humans perform in extreme environments, including space. Space, in general, low Earth orbit in particular, are hostile environments for humans. And among the physiological stressors, such as the fluid shift in the human body, there are high CO2 levels that cause headaches and affect motivation and cognition. Then there's the muscle atrophy and the bone demineralization that come from the absence of gravity. All of those affect mental state in one way or another. We heard about some of those in the last episode with Garrett Reisman. Some of the weird stuff that can happen to your body in space. And then there are the behavioral stressors, such as close interpersonal contact with the other crew members and limited opportunity for withdrawing from that close interpersonal contact. And there's also communications problems with mission control. All of these stressors are exacerbated by a phenomenon that's common to all isolation and confinement, and that is that trivial issues are exaggerated. As NASA and other agencies were beginning to move towards long-duration space missions, Jack and other scientists helped research best practices for expeditionary behavior, EB for short. It's a way of thinking about communicating, self-care, leadership and fellowship skills, team care, and living. Basically, it's how to be a good teammate in a stressful situation, like months in tight quarters aboard a spaceship. As an anthropologist, Jack often turns to the past for insight. In the behavioral sciences, we look to analogous conditions when access to the conditions of interest is not possible. So I studied conditions on Earth that could be characterized by isolation and confinement and various degrees of closeness. He looked at the life and work of people on offshore oil platforms, commercial fishing vessels, Antarctic research stations, and underwater habitats. And came up with 100 design recommendations in a report that was very well received by the design engineers because they were based on real-world experiences as opposed to somebody's good idea. Many of the recommendations were incorporated in the final design of the International Space Station. Among Jack's recommendations for the ISS were design features that would allow for both time together and time apart. Jack and others lobbied to install private sleeping areas aboard the ISS as it grew. Privacy, what a concept. During the early days of the station, there were no private sleeping quarters, but as the station increased in size, there were Sleeping quarters were added. They're about the size of a phone booth. Now, let me tell you, a phone booth is a thing that we used to have on Earth that uh, on corners, and you would go in and put in some money, and you could call somebody. Jack's got jokes, but all humor aside, it's also important for astronauts to come together. Also among Jack's recommendations for the ISS was a kitchen area where the entire crew can eat. The importance of eating together is almost a cliche. Families that eat one meal together each day, tend to have the kinds of uh, communications and solidarity that people want to emulate. The same goes for work groups that are isolated and confined, that uh, eating at least one meal a day together fosters solidarity. 
the kind of solidarity that's needed in an emergency situation. These little things, a meal with your friends, but also a private place to get some sleep, can really make a big difference. Perhaps one of the most interesting recommendations that Jack's work contributed to the ISS was the cupola, a domed set of windows that looks down on Earth as the station orbits our planet. One of the analogs that I studied was called Project Tektite. It was an underwater habitat in the Caribbean, consisting of two vertical cylinders, and one of them had a, a little windowed, the only word I can think of is a cupola, <laughs> a little dome-like thing, only it was, you put your head up in it and you could look around and watch the fish. And that's where the participants in those studies, in the aquanauts, that's where they spent most of their free time. They enjoyed it so much. I was one of many who recommended that a space station should have windows, and it was added about 10 years ago to the space station. From up there, astronauts say, you get a completely different sense of how amazing our planet is. Psychologists sometimes call it the overview effect, this powerful, sometimes emotional connection to the Earth when seen from afar. A lot of astronauts will probably say that one of the best things about flying in space is that view of looking back at our beautiful Earth. That's former astronaut Captain Kay Heyer, who flew on the shuttle mission that brought the cupola to the ISS. My second uh, mission into space was STS-130, and that was a space station construction mission. We took up Node 3 and the cupola. So Node 3 is one of the modules, and we attach that to the port side of the International Space Station. And it has uh, become the habitation module uh, with all the habitation-type uh, systems on the space station. And then we attached the cupola to, uh, to Node 3. So that's where we get all those beautiful pictures from now because the cupola has seven windows, six windows radially, and then one big central window that's 17-inch diameter. That's our largest window in space. It's exciting uh, seeing storms from well above the atmosphere, seeing the northern or southern lights from well above the atmosphere, looking down on them is, is just beautiful and amazing just to see our gorgeous planet, and it's always changing. Before the cupola, there was just some subpar windows with a less than impressive view of our Earth. Uh, let's make an analogy to a car. Let's say you only had the side windows, and you're a passenger, so don't do this as a driver, but you're the passenger, and you only have a little round circle of a side window, and that's all you get to see. Putting the cupola on there is like having the windshield, all the side windows, and the back window. Oh, and a big sunroof. And it's big enough that the whole crew can float down in there. And it's so amazing because I remember uh, once we were open, I was there as we opened the shutters for the first time on the cupola, that we realized that you couldn't take in the whole view without turning your actual body around. You had to spin your body around to take in the full 360-degree uh, view all the way around, and it's it's uh, quite a great asset that we have in space now to have that cupola to be able to get that view. Looking at Earth with your fellow astronauts is great, but communicating with the crew members down there on the planet is just as important. Interesting story, if you want to hear it, about the third Skylab mission in 1974, I think it was the third occupation of Skylab, the crew arrived 
in an Apollo capsule and they docked and they were supposed to stay in the capsule for 24 hours to adapt. And they wanted to go in right away and they convinced Mission Control to let them go in. And they went into Skylab and one of them promptly barfed. And so they cleaned it up and they said, let's be real quiet about this. We don't want Mission Control to hear this. But it's odd, even though it was the third crew they were unaware that there was an open comm channel at all times. And so the transcripts of their little conspiracy, their little plan uh, were on the desks of every NASA manager the next morning. And so that's how the expedition got started. I think we all know where this is headed. And so you might imagine that there was tension between mission control and the astronauts. And the astronauts were overworked uh, about halfway through they had been complaining about the unrealistic work schedules, and they were supposed to have every other Sunday as a off day, as a, a day for personal rest. And it hadn't happened. And so th they just turned off their comm system or stopped answering the comms. And that greatly annoyed and, and alarmed mission control. And then the next day they had another one of these, uh, uh, Gerald Carr, the commander of that expedition, called it the first sensitivity session in space, where the astronauts aired their grievances and mission control listened and mission control tried to convey their perspective. In the end, mission control agreed to ease up on the assignments and give the crew more downtime. Their favorite activities? Looking out the window and listening to music. Skylab 4 was an 84-day mission, but it showed just how important good communication is for long missions in space. Today, an essential part of astronaut training while still on Earth is to go on real outdoor expeditions with the crewmates. There's nothing like actually being tired and at the whims of Mother Nature to teach you some EB. NASA had started adding in uh, these analog trainings, sometimes uh, going on expeditions, uh, whether it was mountain climbing or um, uh, hiking through the canyon lands or sea kayaking uh, to put smaller groups of astronauts together to go through these conditions because you can only go so far in a simulator. And, you know, you're going to go home at the end of the day. But to put uh, folks in these real conditions that are unpredictable, uh, weather conditions, uh, equipment performance, that type of thing, where it, there is a certain level of risk and that real decisions have to be made real time, uh, that is tremendous training, and then it putting people in stressful situations uh, in a group, and how do they function with each other. So the expeditionary training has been very beneficial. Uh, we've learned so much from it, and all of those lessons are being incorporated into the training that for the Artemis crews that are planning to go to the moon. Kay says that the lessons she learned from her expeditionary behavior training and her time in space can be used by anyone in a stressful situation. Don't work yourself so hard until you break. You know, make sure and give yourself a little break every here and there. And I'm not saying being lazy, but just being aware or even being aware of when you're getting stressed and find some way to blow off steam, you know, whether that's go for a walk, go for a run, and then re-engage, and then also be aware of the other folks that you're dealing with. For instance, you know, even though it might be over Zoom, you might notice that, you know, one of your coworkers or friends is starting to kind of withdraw a bit, or maybe they seem a little bit stressed, and, 
and uh, consider ways to, to help them out and give them a break or maybe offload some of their work for, you know, and help them out in that way. We've all felt different struggles during this time, myself included. But I have felt fortunate to be able to lean on some of my For All Mankind castmates. I gotta say, the last scene of the High Bob sequence we shot was the scene of the three of us, you know, departing and kind of leaving you on your own. And that was hard to do, you know? It was like I knew <laughs> that we were just making a show, but I did feel like, oh man, we're leaving Joel behind to just hang out in Jamestown alone? This is gonna be a rough one. It's funny, because for me, it, it was just, I was just like, oh, Good riddance. <laughs> At last. I was like, this is paradise. <laughs> no. no, it was a little, it was a, yeah. It was like the end of a little special bubble. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. So many people have asked us in interviews, um, you guys all seem so close. You know, this production seems like it really is like a family. And our, our group chat is called The Family. Um, how does that sort of affect the workplace environment? How does it affect the actual work when, when a cast is close how we are? It makes it easier, more fun. I, I feel like you don't waste energy on the wrong things. You know, if there's mm -hmm. a weird dynamic or some, you know, jealous energy. You know, I haven't had many of those experiences, but I've had a few. For me, it just brings out the worst side of me. Because mm. if someone wants to compete with me, I will compete. Um, <laughs> and I will make sure I win. <laughs> I found for, you know, going to sort of emotional depths that, that, that we were asked to do, for me, it helps to feel warmth yeah. around me. Um, because it's like you're going into a vulnerable place where you're sort of losing some control. I find that easier to do when I feel that there's warmth and, and just, you know, good feelings and and, that, and that's you know our whole crew is, is incredibly talented and good at what they do but it, there's also a real family vibe in the crew mm -hmm. uh, i think we we retain like over 90 percent of the crew from the first to second season you know film and tv it's a collective art form even crew members camera operators when they feel like there's a vibe where they can come with creative ideas and they don't feel like they're stepping on someone's toes or out being out of their lane then you lose that idea if if you haven't created that environment you know our set is is really good that way yeah and i don't think it's by accident either i mean i think that like i think ron has guided us in many ways in that direction but i also think here it comes. Here comes a compliment, Joel. I'm going to be nice to you for the first time in my whole life. Oh my um, God, I when I first got to work on my very first day, and I remember we were sitting in the makeup chairs, and you turned to me and you were like, you know, welcome. I'm really happy to have you. I'm Joel. You know, you introduced yourself. And you said exactly that. You were like, this is a really fun environment. Like, there really are not a lot of egos. We're all just here having a good time. Like, you're going to be great. And it was like, just a... I didn't say, I didn't say I'm happy to have you. I would never take... we or something. We are... Ha <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Chris, for coming to my thing. No, you yeah. said something to that effect. You welcome me. Okay. No, don't push yeah. off my compliment. I'm being sweet. No. Don't be mean. But yeah, you welcomed me and you made it clear. Like, this is, you know, we're vibing and we're doing this thing together and... You know, I'm happy, where, I'm happy you're here. And I think that that sort of like, it's like passing the baton on of good energy and it just continues to flow. For me, it's, it's I'm, I'm just trying to create the kind of environment that I know that I thrive best in. Yeah, yeah. So if I can do something to push things along in that direction, I'm just being selfish. That's all I'm right, trying to Right, really, I was just trying to help Joel <laughs> feel good each day. Yeah. No, but thank you for saying that. That's very, that's nice. That's well, nice thank you, Joel, for coming on the For All Mankind podcast today. Yeah, this is really fun. 
Based on what Jack and Kay shared with me, I cannot even imagine what it's like to be in a tin can hundreds of miles away from home. But if I've learned anything from these conversations, it's that the human capacity to endure and adapt is in our nature. Yes, those 14-hour days on set with Michael and Joel were long, but we got used to them. In fact, when our Jamestown scenes came to an end, I actually found myself missing my pseudo-space crew. Maybe we just had good EB on set without even having a name for it. I want to thank our guests, Joel Kinneman, Jack Stuster, and Captain K. Heyer. Next time, we'll be releasing a bonus roundtable episode to dig into the drama of season two so far. I'll be joined by executive producers Meryl Davis and Matt Walpert and my castmate, Sonia Walger, who plays Molly Cobb. This is Chris Marshall, safe and sound Earthside. Thanks for listening to the For All Mankind podcast. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts to get the next episode in your feed and watch For All Mankind on Apple TV Plus where available. This is an Apple TV Plus podcast and an At Will Media production. Executive produced by Will Malnati. Produced by Chris Marshall, Ashley Taylor, Patrick Farrell, and associate producer Dominique Ibekwe. Production coordination by Latavia Young. Sound editing by the At Will Media team. Sound designed and mixed by 1,000 Birds. <laughs>